Psalm 33, 1 through 22. Before we read, let us pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this day that you have made. God, we thank you for the ways that you have revealed yourself to us through creation, the ways that you have revealed yourself to us through Scripture, the ways you've revealed yourself to us most fully in Jesus. Lord, we ask this morning that as we hear your word read and proclaimed, that we would know you better, that we would know ourselves better, that we would understand our need for dependence on you in everything better. And Lord, that we would be more and more changed by your word and your spirit into the people that you created us to be in the likeness of your son, Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. Psalm 33. Sing joyfully to the Lord, you righteous. It is fitting for the upright to praise him. Praise the Lord with the harp. Make music to him on the ten-stringed lyre. Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully and shout for joy. For the word of the Lord is right and true. He is faithful in all he does. The Lord loves justice and right, righteousness and justice. The earth is full of his unfailing love. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, their starry host by the breath of his mouth. He gathers the waters of the sea into jars. He puts the deep into storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the people of the world revere him. For he spoke, and it came to be. He commanded, and it stood firm. The Lord foils the plans of the nations. He thwarts the purposes of the peoples. But the plans of the Lord stand firm forever, the purposes of his heart through all generations. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people he chose for his inheritance. From heaven the Lord looks down and sees all mankind. From his dwelling place he watches all who live on earth. He who forms the hearts of all, who considers everything they do. No king is saved by the size of his army. No warrior escapes by his great strength. A horse is a vain hope for deliverance. Despite all its great strength, it cannot save. But the eyes of the Lord are on those who fear him, on those whose hope is in his unfailing love, to deliver them from death and keep them alive in famine. We wait in hope for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. In him our hearts rejoice, for we trust in his holy name. May your unfailing love be with us, Lord, even as we put our hope in you. Turning then to John chapter 13, verses, John chapter 13, starting in verse 33 and going on through chapter 14, verse 7, which we found on page 875 in the Pew Bibles, or 1674 in large print. Jesus has just washed his disciples' feet, and then as they have... Um, been celebrating their last supper, though not realizing it was going to be the last supper. But Jesus knew. He predicts who's going to betray him. And then, immediately after this, we have, picking up in verse 33, he says, My children, I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me, and just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now, where I am going, you cannot come. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. Simon Peter asked him, Lord, where are you going? 
Jesus replied, Where I am going you cannot follow now, but you will follow later. Peter asked, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Then Jesus answered, Will you really lay down your life for me? Very truly I tell you, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, I would have told you that I am going there. Would I have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me so that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you are going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And of course, those readings were just long enough to let my computer time out. That's nice. All right. If you are not in a place where you can see the screen, you may want to move to where you can. Here we go.
person's wisdom yields patience. It is the one's glory to overlook an offense. Proverbs 19.11 Finally, brothers, rejoice. Aim for restoration. The fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing his opinion. Be completely humble and gentle, patient, very Be devoted to one another in love. The one who has knowledge uses words with restraint. Honor one another, comfort one another, agree with one another, love others, forgive others as Christ loves and forgives me. You're ready. Can you get out? Can you get out? Can you get out? Yes, we can get out. What can I do? I really like that video. There we go. And I like it, especially at this time of year, obviously, as it ended with that this Christmas, come prepared and leave a legacy. And uh, in this season of Advent, that's what we've been talking about the whole time, is how we are preparing ourselves. We're being prepared... uh, as we look at the coming of Jesus, both the first coming as well as the second coming, preparing ourselves for both at the same time. And uh, one of the things that I really like about this video is so often when we look at those preparations that we make for Christmas, we're thinking about uh, decorations or we're thinking about menus or we're thinking about shopping or maybe even music playlists. But... uh, What about a different kind of preparation? This guy knew he was going to a family gathering, knew that this could be a source of uh, tension, to say the least, and that he may need to be preparing in things besides what casserole he was going to bring. But he needed to be preparing himself for gathering with his family. Now, you can each apply that on your own, with your own uh, family relationships and what you know is coming up over the next few days and weeks and uh, how how you may need to prepare yourself um, for those events. That being said, he also, as he was going through all these things, you may have noticed he was looking at an awful lot of commands that the Bible gives. And we saw one of those commands in John 13 that Jesus gives where he says, love one another. Now, uh, Leonard Weidman, who was here before, told me one time that uh, he always thought it would be a good idea to preach a sermon one Sunday by just standing up and saying, love one another, and then sitting down, sermon over. I know you like that idea. And there have been weeks where I have encountered in 
uh, <laughs> particularly challenging passages. I'm like, that sounds like a good idea for this week. But, um, and by the end of the day, you may wish that's exactly what I'd done today. However, I'm afraid that we can't just give the command without putting it in context or we may, we may apply it incorrectly. So we're going to look at it a little, uh, a little more carefully from 1 John chapter 4. As he begins in verse 7 with, Dear friends, let us love one another. Now before we go any farther, we need to talk about how we hear these commands from the Bible. Because some of us, when we hear any rule from any sort of authority figure, have the immediate reaction of uh, the rebel. The, you can't tell me what to do. I was going to do that, but now that you said I have to do it, I'm not going to do it just because you said it. Be honest, some of us, that's how we are. Then there are others who are more like the, uh, the teacher's pet, where it doesn't matter what the rule is, we're going to do the best that we can to follow it to the T, um, not because we actually love the teacher, but because we want the teacher to know that we are better than everybody else in the class. Some of us are like that. We hear a rule, that's the way it goes. And then others of us are more like um, sort of the middle of the road, follow the crowd. Sometimes we'll follow the rule if that's what everybody else is doing, and sometimes we won't follow the rule if that's what everybody else is doing. And that's the way we respond generally to these external rules. Um, The commands given in the Bible, though, are very different than this. And so while we have our sort of knee-jerk, instinctive reactions and how we naturally respond to these sorts, of, uh, these sorts of things, we need to look at it a little differently. And I think one way that will help us with that is looking at this command given in, um, in a different form from Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. Because everybody knows we are to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. We are to love our neighbor as ourselves, Right? Jesus was asked, what are the, what's the greatest commandment? That's what he said. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourselves. And of course, then there was the guy who said, and uh, who's my neighbor exactly? I mean, I'm okay with loving some people. So as long as these are my neighbors, then we're good. And that's why in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, you've heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. And everybody's like, that sounds pretty good to me. And he said, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. And that's when everybody goes, wait a second. Wait a second. And he said, if you love those who love you, what reward will you get? He said, everybody does that. Everybody loves the people who love them. And you know that's the case. When you hear this command to love one another, you probably have certain people that come to mind and you're like, well... Yeah, I can love them. They're awesome. And in fact, everything they do, I think, is just wonderful. And so, um, yeah, love them no problem. And then we have other people who eh, kind of love them sometimes. And then there are other people who say, you know what? If, if you're to tell me that everybody has something in them that is lovable, I'm still looking on these people. Haven't found it yet. 
And then comes this command to love even your enemies. To love your enemies, the people that you can't find anything lovable about. In fact, all they want to do is take you down. You do not like them at all, and yet you have the command to love them. So we can go the teacher's pet route and try to show off that we're loving even our enemies so we can prove we're better than everybody else. We can rebel and say, you know what, I'm not even going to love people who are lovable. Or we can just kind of go along with whatever our friends and neighbors are doing at the time. But I think we need to take a different approach. And this is something that comes through again and again and again throughout the Bible, which is this. If you read, say, Romans chapter 12, there are a lot of commands in there. If you read the second half of the book of Ephesians, there are a lot of commands in there. But none of those come at the beginning of the letter. Always, the commands are given in some sort of context of what God has already done for us. And so if you read the book of Romans, the first uh, eight chapters especially, lay out what all God has done for us in Jesus before you ever get to chapter 12, which then says, okay, therefore, here's now how you live in light of that. In Ephesians, the same situation. The first three chapters are all about, here's what God has done for us in Christ. Therefore, if that's what he's done for us, here's how we live in light of that. And these commands are not given as some sort of external, burdensome thing. These are given as life-giving because this is the way of life in Christ. Not apart from him. He already said, and we talk about it all the time, apart from him, we can do nothing, right? This is all in him. But it's all based on what he's already done for us. So here's, here's where we go. Wait a second. So that's the first seven words. We'll go faster on the rest. It says, Dear friends, let us love one another. For love comes from God. In other words, this is not something that we just have to try to work up inside ourselves, but love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. Everything that God does comes out of his character of love. It is uh, everything he does is an act of love. And you may have immediate things spring to mind and say, well, what about this? What about this? I encourage you to go read Psalm 136 as it lists a variety of God's actions and continues with uh, the refrain, His love endures forever, after every line. God is love. We hear this word love a lot. We throw it around an awful lot. But we try to define it on our own terms. And then when we see that God is love... We try to flip that around and say love is God. And say any act that we might do that we would consider is loving, that must be what God is like. That's not how it works. It goes the other way around. We know what love is only as we understand who God is and how he works. And says this is how God showed his love among us. This is how he showed it. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. 
we have a lot of reminders that this is the season of Christmas. We see, uh, we see nativity scenes. We see Christmas plays and we hear Christmas carols. And so it's, it's around, even if it seems to be obscured by some of the more cultural celebrations going on. But it's around. We're reminded that it happened. Sometimes we forget, though, that this was actually, that this actually happened at a moment in time in our history, at a particular place on this planet. But even when we remember that, sometimes we don't even go the next step of asking, why? Why did it happen at all? We just sort of take it for granted. Well, yeah, it happened. You know, the things that happen in history, they've just happened, and we're not even going to question them. We're just going to accept, yes, it happened, and move on. But if we don't ask why Christmas happened, if we just think, yeah, it did, I think we're missing something. Because really, apart from the love of God, Jesus didn't have to come. We could have been left in our own sin and separation from God forever. That's what we deserved. And apart from the love of God, that's where it ends. But it says God showed his love among us in this way. That he sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. The reason for Christmas is because of God's love for sinners. Now I could ask you to raise your hand if you're a sinner, but um, I think we already know where that would go. Hopefully. And if we're not clear, that is every single one of us. God, God's love for sinners is the reason that Christmas happened. The reason that Jesus came into the world. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his one and only son and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. Do you hear the context of this command now? It's not just go love other people because, hey, that sounds like a good idea. It's not love other people because I said so. It's love other people because God has loved you. And he has shown his love for you in this way. That he has given of his son. His son if you ever consider, we often t- think about um, the sacrifice Jesus made towards Easter time. And we think about him giving up his life as he heads to the cross. But in reality, he was heading to the cross when he came to the earth. And have you considered, if you read uh, Philippians chapter 2, there's sort of this meditation or hymn on what it was like for Jesus, who has existed, by the way, from all eternity with the Father. Everything that was made was created through Jesus. It's not that he came into existence when he was born in Bethlehem. He's existed from before the whole creation. And what he gave up, the sacrifices he made even to be born. What is good news for us 
took a sacrifice on his part. I can't even imagine what it must be like for the the word of God through whom all things were created to have to learn to speak. The sacrifice he made even in being born. The sacrifice God the Father made in sending his Son. And so it says, this is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us. So we hear this command, love one another, love God, love others. And we say, okay, there's something I need to do. I'm going to try to love God. If that's where we start, we've started a couple steps too far in. We need to back up and reflect on the love that God had for us, not because we deserved it. but because he loved us. And so when he commands us to love him, yes, he absolutely deserves it. But when he commands us to love other people, it's not based on them deserving it. But we are to love as he loved us. And we didn't deserve it. And it says... If we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. The reason he commands us to love other people is because he's had this love for us and now we are invited to let him love other people even through us. We will talk more this Wednesday night on Christmas Eve about why it is that Jesus came. But for now... Let us consider what it means that God loves you. Briefly. Just keep in mind that Jesus did not come because we needed another holiday to celebrate in our calendars. Jesus did not come to earth so that retailers could make up for lost income at the beginning of the year. Jesus did not come so that families could put themselves in financial debt as a way of um, celebrating and giving gifts or trying to outgive others. Jesus came because even when we turned away from God, he loved us. As you reflect on all the things that you have done from early on, when you consider that even when you were a child, I'm guessing some of your first words were the same as mine. Some of your first words were no and mine. From a very early age, we want to put ourselves at the center of everything. Everything revolving around us. And even in those moments when we are turning away from God and breaking the heart of God, he says, I love you anyway. And as we continue to grow up and we find more and more elaborate ways to turn away from God and be uh, 
deceptive and destructive to those around us. And even when we think we get away with it because nobody around us has caught us, God sees it. It breaks his heart as he knows where that leads us. And yet even in that, he says, I love you anyway. And it's precisely because of our turning away from him and his love for us in it that Jesus came. And with that as the context, and with that not only seen from the outside, but experienced on the inside, that is what is the only thing that gives us the resources to love others who don't deserve it, but to love them anyway. This Christmas, may we understand the love of God in a way that is true and right. Whether we've heard the story a million times before or not, may we understand it this year for real. And may we live as people who are really Jesus' disciples, his followers, and those who live lives of love for our friends, our families, our neighbors, our enemies, those who seem that they deserve it, and especially those who don't. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.